Welcome to The Life of Christ. This is book two now, for some of you. Um, And this is term two and lesson 11. We're going to begin with the chapter entitled John the Baptist. Um, From this point on, we're going to be looking at the time of Jesus. Now, he is an adult, and as we all know, John the Baptist was the forerunner. And so he's going to come before Jesus. He's going to prepare the way, so to speak. And uh, I tell you what, he's going to come on with a bang. So let's begin here as we move forward. What we're going to find is that all four Gospels introduce the ministry of John the Baptist and each with a different perspective. And um, since they all have their importance, we will be looking at each one as necessary and considering what each of them have to say. Now, to introduce us to the Baptist, John MacArthur says that John, born into a priestly family, belonged to the tribe of Levi. He began his ministry in the Jordan Valley when he was approximately 29 or 30 years old and boldly proclaimed the need for spiritual repentance and preparation for the coming of the Messiah. He was the cousin of Jesus Christ and served as his prophetic forerunner. All right. So I want you to take note of a couple of things here. First of all, this is the reason why the the religious leaders accepted John because he was born into a priestly family. All right. So and I know we've said this before, but let me just say this again. Some people are joining us at this point in time and would not have heard these comments. So that's that's one of the reasons they put up with him for you know for so long and so much because he was boy talk about a straight arrow. He was more like a straight spear, you know. <laughs> he, just, uh, he didn't mince his words. When he said something, he said it. And it was said. Next thing I, no- I want you to notice, where he began his ministry, it was in the Jordan Valley. All right, And notice his age, he was around 29 or 30 years old. Okay, And his message was repentance. All right, So what he was doing, see, his job was to let Israel know that they were off track. That was basically it. To say, you are all off track. You all need to repent and get back in line, because otherwise you are going to miss your Messiah. He is here, and it's only those people, remember Jesus said, those that have an ear, let him hear. Okay? Not everybody had an ear to hear. Do you understand? They, they were listening to words, but they weren't hearing what was being said. Okay? Alright. And so his job was to, to bring Israel back. Remember, there was 400 years of silence. Okay? There was no prophet in the land for 400 years. That's a huge amount of time to go without God talking to you. Remember, these people are not born again. They can't get born again yet. And so there's no inner spiritual life. Do you understand? Everything is in the outside. And so, it was a very difficult um, sort of situation. Alright, so, imagine preaching to people like that. Just saying. You'd have to just be this straight. Alright? <clears throat> also remember, he, he was the cousin of Jesus. John chapter 1, let's begin there. John 1 and verse 6, and it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him, that's John, might believe. Now, 
Arcantius says in his commentary, there never has been anyone like John the Baptist. <laughs> As he grew and matured, he began to take on the appearance of a prophet, wearing a camel hair coat, feeding on the wild honey and locusts of the land, and spending much time with God, a great man of God. And finally, he burst on the scene as the supreme witness of all history, for he knew who Jesus Christ was. Amen. Now, I want you to go back to John 1.6. Notice it says there are a couple of things. It says, there was a man sent from God. It was established that John the Baptist came from God. See, not all prophets came from God. There are some false ones as well. Amen. And Jesus is going to talk about some of those in the, the Gospels as we move on. But it was important that this point was made. That there was a man sent not from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the council. Do you understand? It said there was a man sent from God. That's huge. Amen. That's the reason why he didn't care what the religious leaders thought about him. He, <laughs> this wasn't a, 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 you know, a ballot and he got kind of voted into, into office or something. This man was sent from God. He didn't care about anybody. And so we need to understand that. And I, let me just share this with you as well. I'll probably share some of this later on. But let me do it right now. I feel led to. Whenever you listen to people, check that they're sent from God. If you want to say something, check that God said it to you. Okay, it's not just what you want to say to people in the name of God. Do you understand? You know, it, it, if you want to have any kind of credibility, you need to make sure that whatever is coming from you is coming from God. And when it's you, let people know it's you. And that's the reason I make such a big deal when I, when, I, when I get onto something and I say, this is my soapbox. How many you, you know what? That's the reason why. <laughs> let you know when it's my soapbox. When I have a situation and I have something that I'm dealing with or I have an issue with, I let you know that's my soapbox, not thus saith the Lord. That way you know when I say something else that came from God. Amen? All right. So that, that's important as a side note. But we're coming back to this. So notice it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And then it says why he was sent from God. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. That all men through him might believe. See, that was his purpose. He was to bear witness of the light so that people may not look at Jesus and go, Oh, you're the Messiah. But they go, Oh, we heard of you from John. We heard about you from John. We believe John. Do you understand? That's the deal. So he was meant to come and say, look at me, trust me. Everybody goes, we trust you. See that guy? That's the Messiah. Everybody go, you've got to be kidding. But John, since you said it, okay. Are you getting the picture? Okay, I need you to understand this, alright? Because Jesus is going to turn up and they're not going to be so thrilled. They're going to go, can any good thing come from Nazareth? It's like, hey, dude, John talked about him. Oh, yeah, John, okay. Not that that happens, but you understand what I'm saying. Okay, that's the relevance of all of this, okay? Let's turn back over. And we're going to now um, continue on in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. <clears throat> Matthew is going to give us some key points in history 
so that we can locate this time period and we can also know for sure this happened. This isn't just some little fairy tale. Hello. Okay, because people sometimes just go, oh, the book, you know, the Bible, it's a fairy tale. No, these are some key things to let us know this happened in a very specific time. So, reading in Matthew 3 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in, in the wilderness of Judea. Now, he is going to teach. Somebody said that all he did was preach, but you know what? Because we're covering everything, you're going to learn about everything. And you're going to realize that there are some things that people have been saying out there that haven't been right. But at this point in time, the, the focus is on a very dynamic message. All right? When you're preaching, it's dynamic. And so this is why it begins, Matthew begins with, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. It's just, what an incredible movie scene this would be. You know, I, I, was, I was just imagining this. I had to put it in the book, I'm sorry. I was just looking at it and thinking, this is such an amazing... You know, you could almost see like this sweeping panorama just coming down and there's this, this figure down in the middle of the desert and there's all these people and he's preaching his heart out. After 400 years of silence, this guy gets up and my Lord, nobody's heard anybody like this. It's a little hard, man, after 400 years of silence to hear this. But here it is, loudspeaker and all. Are you all with me? And that's the reason why it is, it is beautiful how they write it. And each of the writers wrote this with a very specific thing in mind. Okay, and we need to catch their spirit. Alright. So, to, to understand what Matthew means by those days, we need to look at Luke's gospel here, in Luke chapter 3, where Luke sets the scene for us. Now I'm going to just read this, okay? I'm not going to preach on this stuff, let me just read it. Luke 3, 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, that's the emperor of Rome, Pontius Pilate, being, that's the fifth governor of Judea, Herod, or Herod Antipas, son of Herod the Great, this is the, the guy that met with the wise men and murdered all the children two years and under. He's now dead. Being Tetrarch, or ruler of the province of Galilee, his brother Philip, or Herod Philip the second, another son of Herod the Great, Tetrarch of Ituria, I think, and the region of Traconitis, I think. Okay, that's somewhere in the north of Galilee. I'll try to say these names, but please forgive me. Alright, so this is Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, okay, uh, um, this is the area of northwest of Damascus, and then we go to verse 2, it says, While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of, the God, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. What Luke does is set the scene and says, all of these people were ruling, the high priests were these two guys, and in the midst of all of this comes the word of God. Where? Not in a palace... Not in a this is the whole point all that this is written for as well. Not in a palace, not in a temple, but in the wilderness. So while all this is going on, out in the middle of nowhere, something is going on. Can I just say this? What people think are important, and what God thinks is important, are two different things. We always look for some great person in some great place. Are you all with me? We look for a religious leader, well, we go and say, well, who's out there, you know? I mean, who's up in the muckety-muck in the religious world? Don't look there, because the guy probably isn't there. 
because they're so far from God, they're not hearing God at all. God can't get through to any of them. Now let me say something else too while I'm talking about this. This is one of the reasons why God seems to pull people out and start things. And it's one of the things that religious people get very upset with. Because religious people like order. They like everything to follow their little religious routine and their little religious whatevers. And somebody starts something over there, they go, why? Why are you starting over there? Why can't you come and become one of us? That's exactly why. I don't want to become one of you. I need to stay separate from you so that I can do what God tells me to do, not what your political agendas tell us to do. Do you understand? And so, you know, so while everybody's playing religious games, God says, forget about all of this, let's start over here. And so that's the reason why there's a lot of independent churches and so on and so forth that start up. Now, some are real fruitcakes and nut balls, all right? Don't get me wrong. Some do it because they don't want to be under authority for the wrong reason. Because they want their little kingdom and they want to do whatever they want to do without anybody telling them what to do. That's wrong. Okay? But there are others that will do this because they want to stay true to God. And they don't want somebody influencing what they're thinking, what they're ministering, and what they're doing, except God. And God alone. Are you all here? Okay. So watch out for both of those things. Okay? Those that are led by God, and fruit nut bars. Okay? (laughs) Both those will start up independent churches, I'm just telling you. Alright? But notice also that God stays outside the religious system. And the political system. Okay. Alright, so the reason that Luke mentions these six chronological items is to identify who the political and religious authorities were at the time and thereby establish a specific time in history when John the Baptist began his ministry. That was approximately 27 to 29 AD. He begins with Tiberius Caesar because he was the emperor of Rome at the time and then goes on to Pontius Pilate. Now I had made some wrong um, statements about Pontius Pilate in some of the things I was preaching, I got him mixed up with Herod Antipas. Uh, really sorry about that. For some reason, I had got these two mixed up and thought that it was Pontius Pilate that actually beheaded John. It wasn't him. It was Herod that actually beheaded John. So when Pontius was standing there, Pontius Pilate was standing there and saying, I don't find anything wrong with this person, and we believe that he got saved, that all sits a lot better now as well. So forgive me for that. Okay. So again, we, we are told about Pontius Pilate the governor of Judea, who is going to examine Jesus and find nothing wrong with him. Next is Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, who will be responsible for beheading uh, John the Baptist and mockingly examining Christ on the eve of his crucifixion. Then there's Philip, his brother, who ruled the region of the north, um, purely for historical purposes. Also remember, he, you know, there was a deal with his wife. There was funny business going on there. We, we'll get into some of that later. After that... We have uh, Lysanias, I think, uh, again only for historical purposes since he pays, plays no role whatsoever in the history of Jesus nor the church. And finally, Annas, the de facto high priest, who, is, who, even though was removed from power by Rome, still continued as the ruling spirit of the Sanhedrin and who Jesus was brought to first when he was arrested. And then there was his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the actual high priest, who would be responsible for sentencing Jesus to death. 
So you can see who, who they took to first, and you can see the games that were going on back then. All right. In his commentary, William MacDonald writes, The political rulers mentioned imply the iron grip with which the nation of Israel was held in subjugation. The fact that there were two high priests in Israel indicate that the nation was in disorder religiously as well as politically. Though these were great men in the world's estimation, they were wicked, unscrupulous men, I'm so sorry about tonight, in God's eyes. Therefore, when he wanted to speak to men, he bypassed the royal palace and the synagogue and sent his message to John. Amen. So notice again now how Luke 3.2 is worded. It says, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. Did you catch that? All right. You need to see that while there, was peop- there were people in high places, in religious, okay, uh, the in- religious institution at the time, while they're doing their stuff, the word came somewhere else. Amen? First, Luke draws our attention to the fact that the word of God came to John to show us that John was indeed a genuine prophet, just like Elijah. Alright, where it says, the word of the Lord came to him. This is a phrase that has been used throughout the Old Testament. It says, the word of the Lord came to him. Alright, or in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1-2, where it says, to whom the word of the Lord came. Are you all with me? Okay? So, it was a terminology that was used to indicate that these people were actually hearing from God. And they literally received a word from God. This wasn't their stuff, this was God. Amen. Okay. Secondly, not only did John receive God's word in the wilderness, but according to Matthew 3.1, he then began to preach that word in the wilderness. Amen? So I want you to notice two things. Number one, the word didn't come into a populated area. It came into the wilderness. It's the places where people are listening out for God. It says, be still and know that I am God. It's in the quiet places that you hear God. Not in the hustle and the bustle. Okay, and so even though we're talking about a geographic location, we can say in the same way, your heart and your mind... When it's busy and it's, you know, it's got that kind of a city-like thinking and you're just racing in and out of your brain, God's not going to say much. Are you all with me? Which is the reason why it's, it's so important that we take time out to connect to God before we get into business. Because when, when we're in the business, if we're connected, we'll stay connected. And God can talk to us through problems. But I tell you, the worst thing you can do is try to connect to God in a storm. That you didn't do anything before that, and then suddenly you're in trouble, and suddenly you're trying to connect to God. It's, you can't, I'm not saying you can't do it, it's just difficult. Okay? So there's a little preaching on that side, and I hope you understand what I just said. Alright? I want you to see things that we read in more than one way. Do you understand? Okay, don't just read the words. Understand the spirit behind it. So, I've said here again, not only did John receive God's word in the wilderness, but according to Matthew 3.1, then he then began to preach that word in the wilderness. Okay? And from Mark 1.4, we know that he also baptized in the wilderness. We're going to see that in a minute. So everything is happening away from 
all the populated areas and all the, the, the places that you would normally go to see this happening. Okay? I'm sure in those days they had advertised meetings and stuff. John wasn't one of them. Come here, Rabbi so-and-so, speak on, you know, whatever, how to hold your bread when you take communion. Six ways of washing your hands. How to tell whether the bowl is pure or impure. Oh yeah, their favorite thing. How to take spices and pull 10% out using the molar theory. No, okay. No. <laughs> all right. Never mind, it's a joke, all right? It's how you count atoms. All right. In other words, God bypassed all the royal and religious institutions and delivered his word to a man in the middle of nowhere. And this particular wilderness, I'm over the page, I don't know where you guys are. In this particular wilderness, according to Matthew 3.1, was the wilderness of Judea. All right? This is where this was. And more specifically, according to William Hendrickson, the rolling badlands between the hill country of Judea to the west and the Dead Sea and Lower Jordan to the east bank to the east. Okay, a vast expanse of barren soil covered with pebbles, broken stones, and rocks. Here and there, a bit of brushwood appears with snakes or vipers crawling underneath. So this clearly explains why. In, it says in Matthew 3, 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now we understand why. Okay, he was very familiar with that, with that landscape and the, and the territory. So returning to Luke chapter 3, it goes on to say in verse 3, And he went up into all the region around the Jordan. Now, which the original text says, included the entire region on and around both banks of this part of the Jordan River, which is nearly 325 kilometers long. There's a big area, and where much of the Jewish community lived, which is the point that Luke is trying to make. So, John was in the place where a lot of the Jewish community lived, which is why they came to him in droves. Are you all with me? It was a vast area. A lot of Jews lived there. He was preaching in that place. They came to him. Okay, all right. <clears throat> and again, the Jews needed to repent. So that's why it says they're preaching a baptism of repentance. All right? With a view to a radical change of mind and heart that leads to a complete turnabout of life. That's what John is after. For the remission, or literally sending away, of sins. Now Matthew 3, 2 adds, he says, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Alright, so not only was he preaching a baptism of repentance, alright, for the remission of sins, but he also said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's letting them know the king is here and the kingdom has come. Amen. Alright, now this is what I'm going to do when we have two scriptures that give us information, I will use one scripture as a baseline, and then I'll add all the other scriptures onto it to let you know all the additional bits of information that were included that was not in this particular verse. So you are going to get the information from all four Gospels in what we're doing. We won't miss anything. That's why the book is so thick. Anyway, <laughs> they're there for reasons. Everything is there for a reason. We miss something, we're going to miss it. William MacDonald says that John was a true prophet and embodied conscience, 
crying out against sin and calling for spiritual renewal. Did you see those things? This is what a true prophet does, okay? He embodied conscience. Boy, I tell you what, you did something wrong, you knew. When you got in around, around John, you felt guilty straight away. It's almost like he looked straight through you and go, I know. You go, I haven't said anything. But he goes, I know. I repent. Fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alright, so crying out against sin and calling for a spiritual renewal. Now, with regard to remission or the sending, or sending away of sins, William Hendrickson explains that such forgiveness means that these sins are sent away to a place from which they can never be recovered. Isn't that great news? Okay, God-fearing people in John's audience knew about the sin-laden goat that was sent into the wilderness, never to return. That's in Leviticus. I've given you the verses, 16, 8, and 20 through 22. And the truth about Micah 7:19 says, You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Leon Morris adds that the purpose was forgiveness. Amen? Let's move on. When we consider Mark's account, I want to preach, but let me just move on. Let's see if, if, it, if it lingers, I'll come back to it. When we consider Mark's account in Mark 1.4, we find that Mark separates John's preaching about baptism and his actual act of baptiz- baptizing people. All right, And says there, this is in Mark 1.4, John came baptizing in the wilderness, that's the act, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Okay? So there were two things going on there. So taking a step back, we can only imagine what it looked like. Hundreds and later thousands at the height of John's ministry. One crowd replacing another, day after day, seated along the Jordan. Listening as John upbraided and even rebuked them. Warning of judgment. Speaking to individual sins. Calling for social justice. And most of all, repentance. And so when they were finally duly convicted... Jews, God's covenant people, along with Gentiles, formed endless lines to be baptized as a sign that they were repenting from their sins. William Hendrickson writes, The stepping down into the Jordan and later stepping out of it reminded them that the old sinful self must be buried so that those baptized may rise to newness of life. Now, this is, remember again, let me talk to you for a minute here. Remember again, these people are not born again. And a lot of people take this and these sort of verses as the reason why we have to have water baptism. I'm not against water baptism. Can I say that? I am not against water baptism. There are some people out there that are against water baptism. There are some people out there that are for water baptism and they're fighting and I think, what a waste of time. Okay? I'm not against it, whatever works for you. What I'm going to tell you here, and what we're going to see later on, confirmed over and over again, is the fact that what John was doing on the outside, Jesus is going to do on the inside. He was doing it on the outside, because none of these people are born again. They don't know anything about what's going to happen. Okay? So he's going to say, I am going to baptize you with water, but there is one coming. And he didn't say, who will baptize you with better water? Can I say that? Okay? He didn't say that. 
He didn't say, my water is filthy and he'll have holy water. He didn't say any of those things. He said, I'm baptizing with water. This is an outward sign of something that's going to come. And he's going to baptize you with something powerful. This stuff on the outside is for people who right now are not born again and can only, can only understand outside things. Are you all with me? And he said, but I tell you, there's going to come a time, something's going to happen on the inside. And you won't have to come to a temple, there'll be a temple in you. Hallelujah. Amen. No longer will you come to a place made by hands where God dwells. God is going to dwell inside of you. And then the devil will not be able to touch you. Well, it was not meant to anyway. That's why, you know, I was sharing with my daughter something. We were talking about several things and in the conversation something came up and I said, you know, there was this warlock very high up in the ranks who converted, became a Christian. And he said, you know, as much as the stuff that they could do, which is extraordinary, they said, they all know one thing. If the Christians ever woke up, they're in trouble. They said they have no idea the power that resides on the inside of them. Isn't that interesting? And it makes sense when you, know, you hear stories like a Christian goes into you know, a, a, a coven and the Christian doesn't get killed like the movie show. And the devil will never show this because he, he'll show his hand for what he really is. They would walk in and the whole thing would come to a halt. And they go, somebody is in here that's not meant to be in here. And they asked the person to leave because they couldn't do what they needed to do. They couldn't do what they wanted to do while the Christian was there. What does that tell us about your prayer life? The things that are going on is because we're not praying enough. And I'm not doing that as a con- condemnation, because there's no condemnation. But you understand, if you realize the power you have, my goodness, start praying. Pray over anything. And everything. <laughs> okay, that's what Paul says. And we're going to look at that too. <laughs> okay. Because you do have power. And if you only knew Absolutely. that your prayer can go mess up months and even years and decades of work the devil does. In one instant of time. Amen? I think we'll be the most prayingest dudes and dudettes ever on this planet. Anyway, back to this. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Alright, I'm here to help you get there. Now, as to why this is so important at this particular moment in time, this is about the water baptism, is brought out in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven, a term unique to Matthew's gospel, by the way. Okay? That is the kingdom of heaven. Alright? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they're saying you need to repent because the kingdom is at hand. It is on the verge. It, it is sort of here, okay? But it ain't here yet, but it's here. Do you all understand what I'm trying to say? Okay, the new birth was at hand. God's kingdom was about to come. Jesus' prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, is about to take place. Alright? It needed some teaching, and it needed a death, in order for the whole thing to work. Alright, Leon Morris says, and we have to quit here, Leon Morris says that the kingdom is closely connected with the person of Jesus. 
And this is what is in mind with John's use of the expression. He is pointing to the truth that Jesus will shortly appear and with him the kingdom. Amen? And as to why this is so important will be dealt with when we get to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, when Jesus makes the exact same, same statement and says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're both preaching the same thing. Amen? It is a key statement and goes on to introduce Christ's assignment and true purpose for coming to earth. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and continue on from there.